Christian team and everyone else. It's been a great time together. You know, this guy's singing so loud because he just started dating yesterday. He's praising God. He's hailing the Lamb. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Take the Lamb, baby. Uh, it's great to be together. What's up? Uh, my name is Seth Mitchell. Um, I help lead the Blue Ridge Campus Ministry. Uh, and it is great to be together as a family together in Harrisonburg. I want to start it off talking to our amazing Father in Heaven. Let's pray, and then we will uh, hop into it. Dear God, uh, Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the amazing Lion of Judah, Father God, that we get to follow in victory. Uh, we just do not deserve to be your children. We don't deserve to be able to worship you, Lord, and what a gift it is to be able to sing together, Father God, to be able to enjoy one another, Lord God, to uh, be able to fellowship and, and just enjoy you, Lord. We're so grateful. Uh, Father, I pray that you speak through me. Uh, thank you for choosing us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it is good to see you guys this morning. You know, I have a confession to make to you guys. I am a general encouraged maholic. General encouraged maholic. Now, let me explain the nature of my condition. I, I have this, like, tendency to use very bland overstatements for saying how people do a good job. Right? Like, hey, you're awesome. Yeah. That's, that's my go-to, actually. It's pretty good, I know. Or nice, or good job, or like, you're cool and stuff. And for the most part, like, it works well for me. Uh, like with guys, you know, you can just be like, yo, what's up, dude? And they're like, yo, and it's like, dude, you're awesome. Yo, you too, man. That's all you have to say. But it doesn't work so well with the sisters a lot of times. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the sisters are, are cool, you know, they're, they're amazing and everything. But, you know, I was thinking about it. If Steven went up to Liza and he just said yesterday, you're awesome. Now, you're with that fat cod. And yeah, he did. Thank you, Baron. Yes. Uh, you know, sisters want to know why, right? Why do you care about me? Why do you love me, right? Why am I awesome? And, you know, I think we all do, but I can't get away with it as easily um, with the sisters uh, in general. Um, but, you know, well, Steve did a great job yesterday. You know, we were going up the mountain. And he wrote this huge card. It was like four cards in one. Yeah, like literally, it was just like, oh my gosh, dude, calm down. Get it, man. Um, but, but it was, I think, you know, we do want to know why do you love me, right? Why do you care about me? Uh, why am I important to you? And so that question is the title of my lesson today. Why do you love me? And I don't know if you've ever been asked that, but it's actually a very uncomfortable question to answer. Like, you know, I get away with the general encouragement until, like, someone says, why? And then I am, like, in this freeze, like, mode where I have fight or flight. Do I just, like, <laughs> pretend like I didn't hear them? Or do I, like, assault their question, like, why are you asking me why? I just love you, okay? Or I have to actually think about the reason why. And I feel like... You know, depending on who you're talking to, this is a very crucial moment in your relationship. Answering this question, you know, if you don't have a good answer quickly, you might get in a lot of trouble, right? All the married brothers say amen. Um, you know, this question is so uncomfortable for people that literally there are online forums about how do you answer this question when someone asks you. Um, and I was looking at, I looked at like a limited amount of sources, um, but this one specifically said, 
Okay, these are like the top five answers they provided. So when someone asks you, why do you love me? Say, oh, because, you know, you have so much fun together, right? Like, oh man, you know, we have a fun time. It's cool. I don't know if that one would really work. I don't know. Um, you know, they always make you laugh. You know, you always make me laugh. That's why, that's why I love you. Um, because you're both so compatible, because they're so easy to talk to, because they always listen to whatever you want to say, right? And, uh, you know, when someone's asking this question, I don't know how I really feel about these answers, but when someone's asking this question, what they're really asking is, is what value do you see in me, right? What makes me worthwhile spending time with? Um, why am I interesting? Uh, why, why do I matter to you? Um, and I think, you know, What's interesting to me about these answers is they actually all come back to what you do for me, yeah. right? The reason that I love you is because you, I have, you make me have fun, right? I get fun from you, or I get laughter from you. Being around you gives me laughter. Being with you makes me feel comfortable, right? Being with you, you know, it, it just it, it makes conversations easier for me. Um, or, you know, you're, you're always around to listen. It's this need that they're actually meeting. And we just kind of live, it's kind of sad, but we live in a world where really the reason that people love you is because they get something from you. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten those slips in the mail that are like, you know, dear Seth, we really care about your service. I'm like, you don't care about me. You just love me for my money. You just want me to keep going back. I think the ultimate height of this is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. You honestly feel like this person has loved you from birth. They've cradled you, they fed you with the milkshake when you were young, right? And you know, you've been nourished on the chicken. They're like, my pleasure, it's great to see you. But what they're waiting for is, the reason they do that is because they want you to come back, right? It's not because they actually care about you, it's because they want you to come back. I know, it's really hurtful. I know, I'm cutting through their marketing speak, guys. I'm so sorry to burn it for you. You know, we all, everyone, whether it's a waiter that's being really nice to us, or, you know, uh, maybe it's, you know, repost or tweet or share this or like this, everybody, you know, the reason that they love you is because they get something from you. Um, and, you know, I think that this is a question that's critical for us to answer for our relationship with God, right? God, why do you love me? I think it's it's one that we kind of grow up wondering. It's honestly like one that's a huge source of insecurity for people, right? Like, you know, and that's why they go to anorexia or all these different things. It's like, why do you love me? You know, maybe if I was more this or that, yeah. you know, then I'd, I'd fit your needs better. Then I'd kind of fit into the mold that you want. Um, but then I think this is a question that God also asks of us. Yeah. And I think in our relationship with God over time, we learn, why do I love God? Yeah. Why do I love God? Why do I care about God? And today I want to look at a story that explores both of those questions in Luke 15. So you can turn your Bibles over there. Um, and I think that this story, once properly understood, has the power to radically satisfy a human heart like nothing else. I think if we can really understand what this passage is getting at, it's really the crux of the gospel. So in Luke 15, uh, it says, There was a man who had two sons, in verse 11. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has been back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father answered, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, this, simple, this story is really simple enough. There's a father and two sons, right? And each have a radically different relationship with their father. The younger brother cares essentially nothing for his father uh, and lives life recklessly while the older brother diligently obeys every day of his life. And, you know, this is the third of three stories in Luke 15 where Jesus is talking to essentially these, this group of religious leaders called the Pharisees who rigorously obeyed uh, the law day after day and were judging Jesus for welcoming and eating with sinners. And in this passage, the younger son, I think, answers this question, why do you love me? I don't. I don't love you. It's very simple. You know, during this time, land and property were considered given by God. These were, for generations and generations and generations, a, a group would own the same property. Your property was very connected to your heritage. And, uh, you know, as, as a younger brother, you know, you'd receive a third of the property. Uh, that was kind of, as you, you know, as you moved on and as your father passed away, you'd inherit a third of the property. But what this son does is he asks his father to sell off a third of the property for the family and the possessions that he has so he can receive the inheritance that he would normally receive after his father had died. So he, he, he's essentially saying to his dad, look, I know that this property has been in our family for generation after generation. I know that you know, you've got all this stuff, but I need you to go sell all this stuff and give it to me because I don't care about you and you owe it to me to give me this stuff so that I can go and live the way that I want to live. Wow. It's an ultimate disrespect that the son is committing. And you know, for us, you know, have you disrespected God, right? We have disrespected God. Uh, you know, I think this, path, this son in many ways represents the path of self-discovery that many of us take today. Um, you know, we feel like that God doesn't really have the good stuff for us. And we see a bunch of older brothers that are working hard and, and aren't getting the goat. And we're like, listen, you know, I, I don't want to waste my time. I'm going to go take the other th I can, I'm going to take everything that God has given me, my time, my talent, my opportunities, my body, and I'm going to run after the things that I hope will satisfy me outside of them. 
And, uh, you know, in 1996, there was a book released about this guy, Christopher McCandles, called Into the Wild. I'm not sure how many of you guys have read it or heard of it before. It's a great book. Um, but essentially, it's about this guy that was uh, cultivated in suburbia with his rich parents on this normal track to, you know, life and success. He was accepted into Harvard Law School. Uh, he had $20,000 that he worked for over the course of his life. And... Um, you know, his, his parents had, had just fought and fought and fought and it had just been this monotonous lifestyle and he just wanted nothing to do with it. And so what he did was he took all of his inheritance, he donated it to Oxfam, and then he just <coughs> drove away, burned up his social security card, burned everything else. And he, essentially this is what he says. He says, the very basic core of a man's living spirit is his passion for adventure. The joy of life comes from our encounters with new experiences, and hence there is no greater joy than to have an endlessly changing horizon, for each day to have a new and different sun. If you want to get more out of life, you must lose your inclination for the monotonous security and adopt a helter-skelter life that will first appear to you to be crazy, but once you become accustomed to such a life, you will see its full meaning and its incredible beauty. I think that this is the mentality that a lot of the younger brother, brother types have. You know, we see, we see people that are self-righteous and obedient, slaving away, joyless in church. And we're like, forget that. I need something greater. And so we reject the whole God thing and the religion thing and try to find something else that will make us whole. And, you know, we look for this in different things, whether it's a guy or girl, an experience at a party, uh, in a career or accomplishment. It doesn't even have to be, like, bad things. In your family and your friends, a lot of us say that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the religion thing is for you. Uh, but it's just not for me. It, it's, it's not something that's going to bring me total fulfillment. It's not going to be something that brings total joy to me. Uh, and I don't think a lot of us even realize that we're actively rejecting God when we do these. When we make these choices, we're saying, I don't care about what God says about sex before marriage. I'm going to take my clothes off for this guy because, you know, that's what's going to make me feel loved. I don't have time to worship God. I need to worship my career right now. I need to, I need to spend the time worshiping God. Now, I, you know, I don't care, God, what you have to say in your word. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't care what, I don't want to take the time to talk to you and pray to you. I don't care if you made me, mm -hmm. right? I don't care if you want me. I don't care if you love me. I don't care about you at all. And, you know, maybe you grew up in a religious background and you, you want to get as far away as possible. Maybe religion judged or disagrees with a lot of the views that you have about, um, you know, different social topics or someone judged your social orientation or, you know, you just see people trying to fit you into this mold that you don't want to be a part of. Um, maybe you feel like God's been holding out on you. He's dealt you a bad hand in the past, and it's time to try it your way. Um, and I think the amazing thing about this that would have even shocked the people listening is that the father decides to do it. He decides to split up the inheritance and give it to his son, even though this is such a disrespectful thing. And I, I think that what this says about God is he doesn't, you know, even if we hate God, he's not going to stop giving us stuff. Yeah. Uh, even if we wish he was dead or completely ignore him in our life, he's still gonna he's still gonna like give us opportunities. He's still gonna give us our chance. He's gonna give us our inheritance. He's gonna let you try and find yourself. God's not restricted in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But sin does not satisfy when the famine comes. Wow, come on. And yeah. you know, the younger son in the famine, uh, <laughs> it's amazing because some of us have been starving so long for love that we think that the best we can get is pig slop. Mm. You know? Yeah. It, it talks about how this younger son, he was longing. He was longing to fill his, his, his stomach with the pot the pigs were eating. I mean, he just thought that that was the best he could get at the current time that he was in. 
And, you know, my question to you is if you're currently living a younger brother lifestyle, are you, are you satisfied the way you expect it to be? Are you filled up the way that you expect it to be? I'm not just asking, are you happy sometimes? I think that there are joys. I think he probably enjoyed his time of, uh, you know, being with prostitutes and all that stuff. But do you have a deep, pervading sense of joy and hope when the dark times come? When the girl does reject you, when you don't get the job that you were looking for, when you don't get the grades that you put your faith in, when your family doesn't reject you or accept you the way that you wanted them to. You know, I believe that the worship of anything else in our life, even good things, above God, ultimately leaves us empty. There's this really great quote. um, It says, One has only the choice between God and idolatry. Wheel wrote, If one denies God, one is worshiping some things of this world in the belief that one sees them only as much, as in they only see it as a worldly thing. But in fact, though unknown to oneself, imagining the attributes of divinity in them. He's essentially saying what people do is they say, oh, you know, I just like this girl. I just like this guy. I just like doing this thing. I just like my job. That makes me happy. But really, you're looking to it as this ultimate thing to fill you up. You're not calling it God, but that's what it is for you. And it says, in finishing this quote, a life not centered on God leads to emptiness. Building our lives on something else besides God not only hurts us if we don't get the desires of our hearts, but also if we do. And, you know, chasing new horizons, like the candles wrote, seems at first exciting, but later it becomes exhausting and frustrating and confusing. And you don't even know what direction you're going anymore. You know, in the Alaskan, Alaskan wilderness... The candles over time becomes increasingly lonely as he has cut off all relationships, as he's just experiencing a new thing day by day, hitchhiking. You know, all of the things that he had rejected originally for a life of self-exploration and freedom become desirable to him again. But the waters have risen in Alaska, and he can't get back to where he wanted to go. And at the end of his life, sadly, he eats something poisonous that uh, causes him not to be able to ingest food and starves to death out in Alaska just like this man would have if he didn't come back to his father. And at the end of his life, the thing that he wrote is this. Happiness is only real when shared. It's so powerful. (laughs) No matter what the idol, it can never fill us. Happiness is only real when shared. And not with a man, not with a woman, not with self-exploration or experiences, but God himself. Anything else will leave you. Anything else is perishable. Anything else can go. You know, and it, it leaves you feeling lost for what you're even looking for anymore. Right. You end up idolizing pig slop, and <laughs> it just seems like when you're not getting it, life just couldn't get any worse. And, and what happens is some of us that get these things, even when we do get the thing that we were looking for, what happens is you become addicted to your idol. Yeah. So, sure, you get the job, but then you need the next promotion. Yeah. Right. And, then you need the ne- and then you need more money, and then you need a nicer car. You need more and more stimulation. Right? If you're in a sexual relationship, okay, you have sex with one person, but then what about this other person? Now, I, now I'm managing two relationships at one time. It's just over and over and over again. These things build because ultimately nothing else can satisfy us. Yeah. That's, the, yeah. that's the younger brother. Now, the older brother, you know, why do you love me? The, the older brother would say, of course I love you. I, I look at all the things that I've done. You know, when asked, do you love me by God, he will always say I love you because you're good and perfect and wonderful, and they'll show a long list of religious observance to validate it. Um, Older brothers can't understand why someone would ever leave the father. You know, they do the right things. 
and they believe it'll go well with them. It's not that complicated. And they're frustrated and confused by younger brothers and condemn them, and, and they become really self-righteous. And honestly, for me, this is me. You know, I grew up, uh, I became a disciple when I was 13 years old, the son of a preacher's kid. Uh, and there's a lot of boundaries I didn't cross growing up. Uh, but <laughs> it was amazing how distant I found myself from people because there's this depth of unrelatability that I had with other people, not because I crossed the, not cross the line in so many ways, but because I, I thought I was so much better than others. It distanced me from people. Uh, the same way that it distanced the older, or the older brother from God and the father and the celebration. I, I couldn't, it was really hard for me to be happy for people because whenever they had something good happen to them, I felt like I deserved it, right? Why are they getting this and I don't get this? Um, you know, when older brothers are happy, um, except for when they receive something unexpected or something they believe they don't deserve from God. Mm. And they will never doubt their love for God, but they will doubt God's love for them. When asked, why does God love you? They'll say, because of what I do, until when you do something, because this happens to everybody. You're doing the right thing, and then something hard happens, right? Someone passes away, or something unjust happens, you don't get the grade that you want, you didn't get the relationship that you want, you didn't get the job that you want, and it's like, God, what the heck? I've done all of the right things. Why are you not giving to me uh, what I asked for? And, oh. Come on. Come on, Seth. Oh, man, I had this really cool effect. Let me see if this works. All right, one more try, and then I'm going to not do it anymore. Alright. Well anyway, basically, I do turns into I deserve. This whole thing burns up and then it turns into I deserve and it appears to be cool. Um, but the I do turns into I deserve God. Right? Um, you know, this older this oldest son, now that his brother was out of the picture, expected to receive the rest of his father's stuff. Um because all of the inheritance of the younger son had been passed on. But when the father gives him the robe and gives him the ring and slaughters the, father, uh, the fattened calf, the older brother is upset because that's his. When the father says, everything I have is yours, that's quite literally true. And so he's taking from the inheritance of the older son to give to the younger son. And when he sees that, he's like, uh-uh. God, I wasn't in this. I was in this for what you were going to give me. It's actually so similar to the younger son. It's amazing. You know, when you look at his response here, it says, it, this, this obedient, you know, righteous, uh, observant son, his attitude towards his father changes to such malicious anger. Look! He doesn't even address him as father or, you know, sir or, you know, someone I respect. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. It's like almost as if his, his, his dad has been make, fit, forcing him to do all of this stuff outside of his choice. And I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me anything. You never even gave me a young goat, right? So I could celebrate with my friends, but when the son of yours who squandered your property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's, he's, he's so angry because what he's seeing is... You know, the reason that he was, what we're starting to see is the reason that he was in this whole thing wasn't because he loved his father so much. It's because he, he, he expected something. He loved God and he was trying to control God and put him into his expectations. Wow. If, I, if I, God, if I obey you, you deserve to give me this. You really deserve, you know, if I'm pure, I should have a better marriage or I should marry someone more beautiful, right? right. 
or if I'm reaching out the most, I should have the most successful ministry. If, I, if I'm praying the most faithfully, I should see the biggest things done in my life. Right. If I'm the most knowledgeable in the Bible, I should be more respected than, why is that guy up for communion? Why is that guy getting the girlfriend? Why is that guy, I've been better, I've been more righteous, I've been more, all these things. And so, but then what happens if I, if I don't get married and I've been pure? What happens if I reach out and, you know, no one becomes a Christian? Then I'm like, God, what did I do wrong? Why aren't you giving me what I asked for? I did everything right, you know? Um, wow. And all these reactions show that we don't really love God. We just love what he would give us. Right. You know, you loved what he could give you, and when he didn't, you thought he was unfair. You don't actually love the father. It's the same as the younger brother, masked in obedience and faith wow. and love. And the scariest thing is that the, the younger son knew he was lost, but the older brother didn't. Right. He'd separated. He was outside the house. His father had to come to him the same way that he had to go to the older son. Uh, thanks. Uh, sorry, excuse me. So sad. Ah, uh, yes. You know, the older brothers. What happens a lot of times is they, they perceive God to be so unfair that they ultimately turn into younger brothers. Right. <laughs> They're like, you know what? God, I did, the, I did the right thing, and you obviously don't love me. That's really the problem here. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to go find it myself. Um, if you won't give me, give me what I want, then I'll take it for myself. Um, you know, both paths look incredibly different in terms of lifestyle, but when confronted with the question of why do you love me from God, it ultimately comes down to what he can give us. And so then all of us are faced with, with this question of where do we go from here? If the path to fulfillment isn't self-discovery and it isn't strict religious obedience, what is? Okay. And uh, personally... Wow. Oh, did it happen? Oh, nice! There you go. That was it. Big kahuna. But you know... Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, just this picture of my family. Gosh, guys. But, you know, uh, I am an older brother. My dad and I and my brother are really close. And, uh, you know, in my family, we've grown up telling one another that we love each other, which I'm really grateful for. And then what we'll do is we'll follow it up with this question of how much? How much do you love us? Right? And in response, we tell each other, we have this like little phrase that we say, it's nobody. We love you, nobody. And basically what this is actually from my, uh, my dad, when he grew up, uh, he, he played in college football. And what they go around before games in the locker room doing it, they, they say, who's bigger than you? And then they'd be like, nobody. They'd be like, who's bigger than you? And it was to get them pumped up in the locker room, right? They'd be like, nobody, nobody's bigger than you. Um, and so, my, you know, my dad, ever since we've been kids, you know, he's like, who loves you more than daddy? Nobody, right? That's what we're supposed to say. And uh, it's cool because the, in our family, the thing that was supposed to get us hyped up and feeling strong was that nobody loves you more than your dad. And, you know, essentially what in our family, what it means is that I love you no matter what, immeasurably, unconditionally. And when I see me, there's a lot of things that I don't like. But I know when my dad sees me, uh, he's always proud of me now. And, there's, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, that's, that's something, you know, a lot of us have different experiences with our parents and, and not all of us have dads like that. Um, 
But you got to think about it. Why does a parent love their kids? Kids are expensive. I don't have kids. Kids are expensive. They just like yelling. They rip out your hair. You know, like they just deplete like every bit of sanity that you have in your life. Like, why do you love your kids? Um, and I think the reason is because you're delighted in them. You're delighted in them. You know, I think that the thing that's supposed to get us pumped up is when God says, who loves you most? You say, nobody. Nobody. Uh, it doesn't make sense that God loves us. The answer to why is not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you haven't done. I believe the most compelling part of this passage is that when he comes before the face of his father, he's able to see that nobody loves him more than his, his, his dad. You know, when the younger son is coming back looking for his father after all he'd done, you have to imagine the son's anticipation of what is my dad going to say, right? You know, as he's getting closer and closer to home, he went off to this distant country. There's probably growing terror in him. Uh, You know, how can he look the man in the eyes that he said, give me my inheritance? How can he look him in the eyes? What is that that disappointment going to look like? What is that... What is that regret, what is that anger going to look like to see in his eyes? How could, he prop, how could he work the property every day knowing that it's a third smaller because of him? You know, would his father even speak with him, even acknowledge him? Would he, would he die of starvation because his father doesn't take him back as a servant? And then what would the town think? Yeah. Right? You know, as he's preparing for the worst, he looks up from his feet to make the next turn. And when he looks, he sees someone running at him and at first he's confused he doesn't recognize this guy it's been a long time it's an old man and in Jewish culture no old man was running it it just it's just a huge like childish thing to do Uh, he would have looked really foolish but as he looks closer and closer he sees it's his father and imagine the fear right why is he running? <laughs> what should I do? Like, like, what do I got on me, right? Um, and awaiting, awaiting an attack, you close your eyes just to get the biggest hug of your life. Right? Biggest hug of your life, kisses all over the place as he's hanging around your neck. And scrambling to speak before you can even get out your full apology or show your repentance. Your dad doesn't remind you of your mistakes. He doesn't make you apologize. He doesn't wait to see if you're truly sorry. He says of his starving son, quick, give him the best of what I have, because this son of mine was lost and is found. He owns him. This son of mine. This son of mine. Even after he said, you're not my father, God said he was his son. That's right. That's right. And the same to the older brother. You know, he goes out from the party to meet him where he is and kindly and lovingly urges him to lay aside his self-righteous pride and join the gratitude and the joy and the party and the feast of God. You know, often this story is called the story of the prodigal son. And prodigal, I didn't know this, uh, means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale. But I think that this is a story not of a prodigal son, but a prodigal God. God freely spends on his younger son over and over and over again. And he gives him more 
than he could even take. You know, coming back as a son meant that he had to be brought back into the family, that he would receive an inheritance again, right. that wow. one-third of what was remaining would go back to him as a son, but that came at a cost, the inheritance of his older son. And, you know, though this elder brother was flawed and stingy, we have one that has given us everything. We have all wasted the inheritance that God has given us on ourselves, and he took from the inheritance of our older brother Jesus to bring us back into the family. Tim Keller wrote, Either as the elder brothers or younger brothers, we have rebelled against the father. We deserve alienation, isolation, and rejection. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. There was no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost on himself. Our true older brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we may have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true older brother. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be some of you in here that are just living for yourselves. You guys are just living it up. You came in here by happenstance. You don't even, you're not even listening to what I'm saying. But you're going to find your emptiness. And when you do, I want you to know that God is looking for you. Yeah. He's not waiting for you to come home. Yep. He's not angry. He's out there on the hunt for his son or daughter. You know, there may be some of you that feel like you've done everything right and you're just embittered at God for giving you what seems like the short end of the stick. You feel like God hasn't done right by you. God is looking for you too. (laughs) He doesn't need your work. He just wants you to love him for who he is because he loves you for who you are. You plus nothing is God's delight. God loves you nobody. I think, guys, if we can realize that the ultimate love we're looking for doesn't lie in some lover or friend or career or religious moralism, but in our Father, it will transform us to be filled, to love God for who he is, not what he gives us, and to love one another for who each other are, and not for what we give one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's our lesson for today. Um, Praise God.